Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. The Christmas we all need. The Christmas we all need. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon the, to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now go to verse uh, 21. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's what the name Jesus means, Savior. The Christmas we all need. Man, it's a busy season. I don't know about y'all, but having two kids in school and family, uh, it's a busy season. From holiday traditions, uh, Christmas events, parades, plays, parties, uh, reuniting with family and friends, uh, seeing uh, holiday lights. I don't know how many holiday drive through lights I've been on. Maybe I think at least three uh, this year. Uh, from binging Christmas movies, somebody, you know, uh, to year-end charitable giving, that's Black Friday, uh, shopping to Cyber Monday, to Giving Tuesday, to stressing over what to buy relatives I never see but once a year, to a cousin who doesn't need anything, but I have to buy something. Come on, somebody. Amen. Right? Uh, I told Beth, I said, well, I don't even know why we buy for these people. We see them once a year, uh, and they don't need anything. Uh, to doing that, to buying for your coworkers. Uh, to your kids, five Christmas parties and costumes at school, for those of you in Gina Elementary. Uh, to finding time to take cool family photos with sweater dresses and getting that online Christmas card ready to email. To paying your year-end property taxes and taking that extra shift, hoping that will cover it all. Somebody say amen. Man, you know, this is the Christmas we're often chasing, but is it the Christmas we really need? It's often the Christmas we're chasing, but is it the Christmas we really need? Let me tell you what the real Christmas looks like, sometimes from uh, the office perspective, from the pastor's perspective, because that's not really the real Christmas. The real truth is this Christmas, some are having a hard time. Some of our church is in the hospital. Some are trying to find a home. Some are working extra shifts just to make it. And some families won't have a Christmas reunion this year because they're broken by drugs. Others are dealing with personal drama or family drama, the issues of life, living in a broken world. Some are lonely and remembering loss. Some are beginning a new season, trying to find purpose and direction in this world. And some are still stuck in the shames of their past. And they don't quite yet know how to move forward. And many, so very many, are tired. Tired from the busyness of life's work, the busyness of its responsibilities, and the busyness of its expectations. Do you know that the Christmas tree uh, came about in the 1800s in the Victorian era in Europe because a very industrialized, secularized, and urban society was growing in the Industrial Revolution, pre-Industrial Revolution. And people just said, we want to get back to our nostalgic Christian roots in the country. So they began bringing trees in their house, symbolic of the Garden of Eden, and they wanted to just slow down. I think we're there again. Uh, I don't know if it's going back out and getting trees in the woods, but it's something about the busyness of life that here we are again trying to slow down. And what is this thing all about? 
There is a Christmas that wasn't, and there is a Christmas that was. Just like we're chasing a Christmas that isn't, and this is the Christmas that is, there was a Christmas that wasn't. Uh, you know, the Bible, uh, we, we have this picture of Christmas in the Bible, and that's often not true. You know, Joseph doesn't say he was a carpenter. He actually was probably a stonemason or a craftsman. The Bible never mentions that Mary rode on a donkey. It doesn't say that Jesus was born on the night that they got there and they had to get there on time. It doesn't talk about a grumpy innkeeper that shooed them away. Uh, it actually doesn't even say that it was an inn. The word in the Greek there, Luke uses it and Matthew uses it. Uh, that word is always translated the upper room or a guest chamber. And likely what actually happened is that uh, Mary and Joseph went to a relative's home. And there wasn't any room in the guest room, in the upper room. And they had to go to the lower floor, which outside of the house would have been the place where animals were brought in for the night in a manger. And Bethlehem wasn't a, a huge bustling city, but it was an ancient village, a tiny village, so small that it was very easy for shepherds to find a crying baby. And so small it was easy for wise men to find a little toddler. Jesus was not born on December 25th, and the Magi were not there on the night his, he was born, despite all the manger scenes. In fact, they were probably there months or even two years later. And that star did not guide them on their journey. In fact, they had to ask Herod for directions on which town to go to. But that star appeared right over the city of Bethlehem when they arrived. And the Bible doesn't say it was three guys, Larry, Curly, and Moe, uh, but it does say there were three gifts given. That's the Christmas that wasn't, but this is the Christmas that really is. Listen to this. The Christmas that really was was Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and barren. They had prayed and served God faithfully for decades, and yet they were struggling to wonder if God was even with them. You ever been there before? Mary was a teenage girl in arranged marriage. Joseph was considering divorcing her for cheating on him. He wasn't sure to either divorce her or send her away for the shame of it. And even though he decided to take her, he had to live with the shame and that society of having a baby out of wedlock because everybody knew he was the daddy. Even though he married her, they didn't get to enjoy their honeymoon, and he really for nine months they didn't even consummate the marriage. Joseph and Mary were poor, dirt dirt poor. In fact, they were so poor, the Bible gave a uh, kind of a, a way out for poor people. When a baby was born, they were supposed to sacrifice a lamb, but for the extremely poor, they were allowed to sacrifice two turtle doves, and that's what Joseph and Mary did. You see, the real Christmas was filled with immense personal stress, long journeys, not knowing where you would sleep, work, or eat. It was under Rome's ruthless occupation. In fact, if you would have went through the streets of Galilee back then, you would send crucifixes along the hillside. There would have been a, a, a rumor of revolt of zealots stabbing Roman soldiers and running away in the crowd. There would have been tension, uh, con continual execution of Jews. It would have been under an evil puppet king who massacred just that two years later Jewish babies just to keep his power. There would have been a corruption of Jewish priesthood at the highest level, paid off by Roman authorities. And it would have been in a year of prophetic silence where not one man or woman of God had heard his voice for over 400 years. It was the day that the Gabriel, the angel, had prophesied to Daniel so many years before 
that God would leave and he wouldn't come back until the Messiah came. So then suddenly, here we are. That very same angel shows up. He shows up to Zacharias and to Mary. He reveals this is the final day of prophetic fulfillment. This Messiah, Savior, King was coming, and this Christmas wasn't filled with string lights, but the light of God's glory. Somebody say amen. It wasn't filled with dreams of white Christmases, but dreams and visions by angelic visitation. It wasn't of holiday parties, but worship services in homes and in fields. Come on, somebody. It was filled with prophetic utterances and fillings of the Holy Spirit poured out in generations that had never seen God move like He began to move on that night. I don't know about you, but I don't want to chase the Christmas that, that isn't or that wasn't. I want to have the Christmas that is. I think the same Christmas that they actually had back then is the same Christmas we still need here today, even in uh, 2023. Somebody say amen. amen. We still need that same Christmas. And let me give you three things this morning that they needed and that we still need today. Number one is they needed a lamb who saves. They needed a lamb who saves. Man needed a savior from his sins. Jews were in constant work constant work to make uh, up for their sin. They had righteous works. It was, they didn't understand that righteousness came by faith, but they were burdened by the law. They were doing all they could uh, to serve God from generation to generation. But despite all their work, they never attained it. They never attained it. They had been exiled, and now there was corruption, and now darkness and evil men ruled. There was no rest from their weary works, and no generation had ever lived up to God's call for them. Not one. And here we find ourselves in Bethlehem. Remember I said they needed a lamb? Bethlehem is the hometown where David, the little shepherd boy, was anointed king. And God sent his son to that very same shepherding town, a tiny village in the middle of nowhere. And she gave birth to him and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough, a stall, Luke 2, 7. And who is the first people God tells in that same field by night, the Bible says, the angels appeared to who? To shepherds. To shepherds. How ironic is that? God in His master plan comes to shepherds watching their flocks by, by night. Luke 2, 8. And the glory of God appears to them, and they came and saw the one that John the Baptist would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's God sending His Son to the very shepherd boy village, David, to a shepherding town puts his son in a sheep's fold in an animal trough, and the first people he tells is shepherds. Don't you think God's trying to send a message to us that the thing you really need is not a king like Rome and not a king like Herod? What you need for all these generations who could never live up to my call for you is you need rest from your weary works. You need a lamb that would save your family and wipe the slate clean. I don't know about you, but there's not been one person in my family perfect. Save me, not really. Uh, there's not been one perfect. I can go back generations and look at our family tree. Man, we've got black marks on our record. Man, it goes back. Look, look at your family. Look at ours. There's not one perfect person. And this same true for them. It says that Jesus was born 42 generations after Abraham. Why 42? 
42 generations, it says he was a son of Abraham. Abraham, the guy who was going to trade his wife Sarai off uh, to get out of something in a jam. It's the same guy who slept with his wife, uh, his wife's servant Hagar and had an illegitimate son. And that family wasn't perfect, by the way. Then you go to the Jacob and all of his kids. Man, gosh, if you ever want to watch a, a Bible version of Jerry Springer, read about the 12 sons of Israel and their issues with Judah. And then you go to David, the guy who killed his own best friend to sleep with his wife. And Bathsheba is actually in Jesus' family tree, y'all. And this is listed in Matthew. Don't you know this family, even though we're a faith-filled family, still had black marks, still had imperfections. And God comes to this family. And he says, this son is going to be the 42nd generation, 42 generations before him. He'll be the 43rd. You know what that is? That's six sets of seven. There are six sets of seven of generations before Jesus, between Abraham and Jesus. What does that mean? That Jesus would be the seventh of the seventh generation. He would complete this family lineage, sixth set of seven. He'd be the seventh. What is seven? God rested on the seventh day from his work. When this son comes into the world, he'd be able to say, it is finished. I have made completion. You can rest. I'm going to be Lord of the Sabbath. Behold, you'll bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He'll be a savior of the world. He'll save his people from their sins. You and your family tree can rest from all your lineage of brokenness and adultery and lying and cheating and murder. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. This lamb's coming in a manger. It's coming by shepherds. It's coming in the middle of the night by a little girl who's humble and broken to a broken family and a young man who doesn't know he's going to make it. And I'm going to set the record straight. This seventh son is going to come. Man, it's going to be like you've never seen it before. A new beginning. Rest. Rest from your works. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you what? Rest. I don't know about you. I need some rest. I'm looking, I'm looking at families that are broken. And we do outreaches. You see these families broken. We had moms and people come just a few weeks ago and said, man, this, this Christmas is going to be different because last year we had three little kids at the Christmas tree. And this year we have two. There are families broken by drugs and alcohol and addiction and hate and violence and animosity. Man, I know families that need rest for a new son to come into the room and join the family tree and wipe the slate clean and say, what well, you need this Christmas? It's not more gifts. You need rest from your works. You need a lamb to come in and make things right again. That's the Christmas that we really need. We need a lamb who still saves. Number two is we need a God who dwells. You know, so they didn't just need a God who saves and leaves them alone to get through the rest of their life, but a God who tabernacled, who dwelt, who lived in the middle of their mess. You know, for God to save Israel, he pulled them out, but he wasn't just enough to pull them out and say, good luck in the wilderness, y'all. He breathed and he parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry land. He fed them by manna. He had a rock follow them and give them living water everywhere they went. He put fire over them to ward off their enemies as they slept. Before Pharaoh could come, he put a dark pillar of cloud, a tornado between them and their enemies. And everywhere they went, they trotted. They had victory. These farmers 
hammers, with pitchforks, with nothing. They had no military, no might, no tanks, nor fortresses. But everywhere they went, God's presence went before them and behind them. They had a God who dwelt on the way to the promised land. I believe God's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's not here to save you, just to save you, but He's here to dwell with you on the way to heaven. He's here to be with you. You see, but here we find this first Christmas. God hadn't been here for 400 years. Man, where's God? You ever ask yourself that question? Where in the world is He? He, he's not here where we're going through this. How am I going to pay this bill? How come my family's sick? How come we never get along? How come my son won't get off of drugs? My daughter won't get out of the mess she's in. Where was God? His presence had not filled a single prophet or been in the temple for 400 years. No religious person had ever felt him. Can you imagine going through all the works and not feeling God? I bet a few of us can. Isaiah said the Messiah's coming would usher in a new millennium, a new reign, a new era, a new age, the church age. He said when he came, he would be the anointed one, Isaiah eleven twelve, And he said in Isaiah 32, 15, he said, for in that day, he says this, he says, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fertile field and the fertile field is considered a forest. What's he saying? When the Messiah comes, on him will rest the Holy Spirit like nobody else. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, and a day is going to begin that's never been before. They will make wilderness places into fertile places. That Spirit's going to come in a powerful, powerful way. And here we find this old barren couple Zacharias and Elizabeth struggling to be righteous. Man, they are struggling. The Bible says they were righteous and blameless in a day when the priesthood was bought off, when nobody was listening. Even their son wouldn't go up and stay in the priesthood. He'd go out in the wilderness to cry against the very institution they were working for. And this couple was not receiving the bribes, not going into the negativity, not being bought off. They were doing it right to the best of their ability. Nobody around them was righteous. They were the only two in the priesthood still walking by faith and believing the kingdom was coming. You know how hard that must have been. And then here on top of it all, God, look what I'm doing, but I'm barren. I'm up in years. You've never blessed me with a son. How can you say you love me? Don't you see all that I'm doing for you, all that we're trying? We're not buying into the secularization. We're not buying into the, the parties and all the drinking and the, and the orgies and all the junk that the priesthood's going into. Bought off by Rome and Herod. We're trying to do it right, but God... You've never been for me. You've never been here. Where are you? They needed a God who dwelled. Since they were still righteous, that means they were saved. They had right standing with God, but they did not know God was with them. And here we find another young, engaged couple, the nobodies in nowhere Nazareth. The Bible says in Matthew 1.19, but Joseph also was righteous. And Luke says that Mary was humble and had favor with God. Jesus would come and say, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, what happens? You be filled. You get satisfied. And here's God. He looks at this people who have right standing with him. They're saved by grace. They're saved through their faith. And he sees them. And the angel shows up to Mary and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Somebody say, upon you. 
Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's the same phrase that we see in Old Testament literature when a Holy Spirit came upon a prophet, gave them a word for their generation. But here's the Holy Spirit coming, and He's not coming upon a man. He's coming upon a woman. He's not coming upon a, a, an older person, but a younger person. He's not coming upon an important person, but an unimportant person. But He finds this person, this woman, and He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and He's going to give you a word. But it's not going to be like a word like Zechariah had. It's not going to be a word like Elijah had. It's not going to be a word like Daniel or anybody else or Micah or Malachi or Haggai. This word is going to come upon you, but guess what happens? It's going to become flesh through you. This word isn't just going to come and just speak through you, but he's going to become the living word. And the word of God was made flesh. And guess what he did? John says he came to dwell. He came to tabernacle in the middle of our mess to walk a dusty road, to be persecuted and abandoned, to be forsaken and left and abandoned and beaten and go through the sludge of life. Why? Because God came to be in the middle of your mess and my mess, not just to save you and leave you, but to be with you every step of the way on the way to promise. He came to rest with you, to fill you. You see, Elizabeth, as soon as Mary and that preborn Jesus walked into the room, this is so good. As soon as Jesus, not Mary, when Jesus walked into the room with under Mary's covering, the Bible says that John in Elizabeth's womb was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit jumped off of John. Then it filled Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Elizabeth began to prophesy, how blessed is it the mother of my Savior is in the room. Don't you know you need that kind of Christmas? Man, I don't need gifts and all this stuff. I need the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then it goes to Zacharias. Zacharias, when he believed what God was going to do, he was, the Bible says, Luke 167, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Then it says, Simeon, another guy, eight days later, in the temple, he says, Simeon was a righteous man. He was devout. He was looking for the appearing of the kingdom. And Simeon, it says that he was full of the Spirit. And that day, when Jesus happened to be there, it says that he walked in the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit led him. And when he saw Jesus, the Holy Spirit came over him, and he began to prophesy. What I'm telling you, all these people, the Bible says, was righteous. That means they had right standing with God. They were saved. But I'm telling you, God didn't just come to save you. He came to fill you. And sometimes you can come to church and say, I said a prayer, I believe, and I confess my sins. That's great. But God didn't come just to save you. He came to dwell within you. He came to fill you with the Holy Spirit and do mighty things through your life. He came to not leave you alone, but to walk with you through life's journey. That means that in a day of weakness of dark and evil and brokenness and doubts and questions and fears. There was a God they met who began to, do, began to do new things, who began to answer the prayers, began to take away that disgrace, began to fill them with joy, and gave them prophetic words and showed you, I haven't ever left you. I still have a plan for you to prosper you. This same Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in the book of Acts and is still here today. What does that mean for me? That means in brokenness and in pain, in suffering and a battle and doubts, I need more than just words and works. I need a change of the atmosphere. I need uh, that same breath that parted waters. 
I still need that same cloud that covered them as they slept, that, that presence that rebuked the enemy, that, that same living water that followed them everywhere they went in a dry and weary land where there was no water. I still need the same Holy Spirit that Moses gave to the elders, that Elijah left for Elisha, that Jesus left for his disciples. And I don't care what denomination or background or whatever you want to call it, I just know I need him. I need all of him that he's provided for me, and he didn't come just to make me righteous, because all these people were righteous. They had right standing with God. They were devout. They were looking forward to kingdoms appearing. But God said, I can see a righteous people, and what I want to do with them, I want to fill them. I want to empower them. I want to fill them with joy. I want to give them prophetic words for their generation. I want to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And, and John says that this guy who's coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, his sandals. I can immerse you in water, but the one coming after me, he's going to immerse you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you in God's presence. He's going to fill you to overflow. And let me tell you something. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but God wants to do more for you and in you than you could ever imagine. He didn't come just to save, but to dwell. Even Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending the, forth the promise of my Father upon you, upon you, upon you. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that came in the upper room, he says, this is the promise. You need to be clothed with power. What we need this Christmas is not just the pouring out of gifts, but the gift of the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. And I don't just need to be filled with holiday goodies, but I want to be filled with the goodness of his presence the goodness of His Spirit. I need a God who dwells. And lastly, I need a King who reigns. They need a Lamb who saves. They needed a God who dwells. They needed a King who still saves. You see, the world didn't get fixed that night, but God still came to deliver. They had a baby in a day of great mourning and weeping. Man, there were so many people being killed those days, so many tragedies, so many bad things and darkness in the world. It was just like the day where Moses and Pharaoh, where Herod began to slaughter those babies. Can you imagine? The Bible says, and Jeremiah prophesied, that Rachel was weeping. Rachel's children, that she could not be comforted. Matthew says it was Rachel's children had been taken from her. It was a day of weeping. It was a day of lamentation. And it's a day where everybody's saying, when is this kind of stuff going to end? You can look at the world today and say, God, when is this stuff going to end? All the news, man. When is all this stuff, all this murder and this hate and this violence and this corruption and this greed? Our voting polls can't fix it. Our pol politicking can't fix it. Our picketing can't fix it. Our writing can't fix it. Man, there's, there's nothing that can fix this world. It is so dark and it's broken. And there's debauchery at the highest places and courts of the land. And nothing, nothing can fix this. And God prophesied through Jeremiah, Jeremiah in that same passage. He says, there's going to be a moment where there will be weeping for Rachel because her children have been taken from her. But if you go a few verses later in chapter 31, verse 17, Jeremiah said, but, but there's hope for your future. 
He says, I satisfy the weary ones. I refresh everyone who languishes. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, he says, Hey, for you, Bethlehem, the smallest of Judah, you're not too little to be among the clans, for from you one will go forth from me, capital M-E, to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And when that angel showed up, he said, Hey, guess what? Hey, this son of the Most High God, the Lord God, he's going to give this child the throne of his father David. David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. No one's going to take this kingdom from him, and I'm going to give it to him, and I'm going to establish it with the zeal of my presence. And that night in Bethlehem, that same shepherd boy, David's town, there was anointed the same kind of king, a son of David. And it says, there was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Somebody say, Lord. And that means he's the Lord. He's master. He's reigning. He's king. He has all authority and all power. That's what Jesus said when he ascended to heaven. He said, hey, go therefore because I've received all authority and power. And I'm ascending to my father. I'm going to make a place for you. But in Luke 19 he says, hey, it's like this. A son left his father and went to go get a kingdom. But he's going to come back to his servants one day. And he's going to sit himself on his throne. And he's going to declare himself Lord of lords and king of kings. Even the magi, these pagan astronomers knew, they said, where is this one born king of the Jews? You see, uh, Jesus came to a very small group of devout followers, came to people like Zacharias and Elizabeth, righteous and devout in the midst of a dark world, came to a humble boy and a humble girl in the middle of nowhere, in the country road, Nobody thought anything of. Came to a guy like Simeon, who was righteous and looking for anticipation for the king. Even Joseph of Arimathea, it says that Joseph was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking in anticipation. God, when you're coming, you know, the Bible says he's going to come to the same kind of people. The ones who celebrated that first Christmas were ones who were anticipating a king. I'm going to tell you something. The last Christmas is going to be the same way. He's coming for those who will say, man, is there faith on the earth? Jesus says, watch and pray. You don't know when I'm coming. And he's going to come to a same group of people in the middle of a world that's still not right, when there's still not yet peace on the earth or among men, when nation is still against nation, there's injustice and inequality, when love is growing cold, when there's natural disasters and diseases and demonic forces ruling our country. Jesus says, I'm coming. And are you ready? Are you ready? I love what Jeremiah 31, 12, I'm going to close with this. I told you, Jeremiah said there's going to be a day when Rachel's children are going to be taken from her and she's going to weep. And that was that moment where Herod slaughtered those babies. The end of that chapter, though, here's how God tells Jeremiah to end it. Jeremiah 31, 12. They will come. Talking about us, they. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. And they'll be radiant over the bounty of the Lord. And he says, their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. You know, that's for you and for me. I don't know if you feel like you're languishing in this world that doesn't have a king and it's not being ruled right. God says, when I show up, there's hope for your future. 
And when that king comes and he stands on Mount Zion and he parts that, that Mount of Olives and he declares himself King of kings and Lord of the lords and every knee bows and every tongue confesses, he says, those that I've poured out my spirit upon, that wilderness that I told you about that's going to turn into a fertile field, that's you. God's going to pour out a day of where his kingdom comes and his light is going to light up every dark corner. I want you to think about where you are this Christmas. What is the Christmas you're chasing, but what is the Christmas that we all need? Maybe today you are in a place where your family is broken and the black marks are there and the lineage is all messed up, man, but you are trying your best, but you need rest in your family. You need a lamb who was coming to save. The 42nd generation had been there, and you're like, man, it still ain't fixed in all of our work, but you need one who's coming that's going to complete that family tree. I don't know about you, but I know there are families that have been going this way, but when Jesus comes into that family, it's a whole new day. Man, that whole generation changes. The whole family tree begins to change, and that's what Jesus can do if you'll let him into your family. This Christmas, Or maybe you're saying, I've just felt lonely. I've been doing all this religious stuff, and we're going through the motions. We've got the lights and the holiday parties. I believe in Jesus. I know the manger scene, but yet you don't have a God who dwells. Maybe you're saved, but you need a God who dwells in you, fills you with the Holy Spirit, gives you a prophetic word for this day, gives you, births a word in you, puts something in you full of power and strength and joy and peace. Or maybe today you know all that, but you just need hope. Man, when you read the news reports week after week and you just wonder, where is he at? Man, he's coming for a people who are looking for him. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we welcome you in this moment. We're going to worship you today before we leave this place. Before we go celebrate the holidays like we often do with traditions and celebrations, we want to take a moment and receive right here, right now, the Christmas that we all actually need. That's what this altar call is about. That you are a lamb who saves. You're a God who dwells. And you are still a king who reigns. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment in every place of brokenness, of hurt, of anguish, even anger, people who've offended us or hurt us. Lord, places where we have no words of grief left to give. We're just there our loneliness and our desperation, all of our questions. Holy Spirit, would you slow this moment down in all the busyness, and we're coming to worship you. I want you to imagine as the worship team leads us in this next moment that you are about to be one of those wise men, one of those women who saw Jesus, who came in, and you're about to enter the room where the king is. And I want you just to offer yourself to him. Just like those wise men bowed down and worshiped him with exceedingly great joy. Just like the shepherds who came in and saw one of their own little lambs in their own little manger and went out and told everyone. Just like Elizabeth who was doing all the right things but didn't feel God. But when Jesus walked into the room, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. We're just going to invite Jesus right now to celebrate Christmas the way it's meant to be celebrated. I hope you'll give him that permission. 
I'm going to ask you just to respond in the way the Holy Spirit would lead you to respond. If you want to find the place of the altar, you are open to do that. Welcome to do that. If you want to stand and lift your hands, you want to sit and kneel. If you need someone to pray with you, if you need to get your life right with God and come to this altar and just...